is is get going here. And first of all, uh, talk about our delightful speaker who has joined us for tonight. And she was introduced to me through a friend of mine from uh, Michigan undergrad. And her name is Jillian Lorenz. And Jillian, I, I, obviously I know you, but I'm going to read a little bit of this so I don't screw this up in terms of your sure. amazing bio. Uh, so again, thank you for joining us. Um, she is the CEO, or I should say co-CEO and co-founder of The Barcode, a multi-million dollar fitness franchise that's uh, encompassed a variety of fitness lessons and routines for everybody and everybody. I like that. Classes are designed to empower personal growth and self-acceptance. This led to the creation of the largest women-owned boutique fitness brand in the world. Uh, she's had 20 years of experience in body positivity, self-improvement, been recognized by the National Academy of Sports Medicine, Athletics and Fitness Association of America, and her work has been highlighted across a variety of different business, fashion, health, and athletic brands. Now, we won't hold it against her. She does hail from Michigan and Michigan State with a degree in mechanical engineering, and then joined Accenture, the consulting firm, uh, and then spent 10 years immersing herself in business consulting before beginning her outstanding entrepreneurial journey. So Jillian, welcome to Medical Vitality Explorers. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and we would love to learn a little bit more about your story from what I just described and anything you'd like to start us off with. Sure. Um, well, I'll start, you know, as a kid, I was a very passionate about dance and music. That was something I adored and loved. And my folks were always about education first and then do what you love. And they would say that to me often, and I didn't really know what it meant. Um, through high school, when I was making my decision to go to Michigan State, I was always just really great at math. And naturally, my brother was an engineer, my grandpa was an engineer, and I went into engineering, mechanical engineering. When I was at school at, McKenna, or at Michigan State, I was elected president of my sorority as a sophomore. And it was during that time where I was exposed to um, the mental illness of eating disorders. And, uh, I was helping people. And then I like to say I caught it. Uh, that was a pivotal point in my time, um, at Michigan state where things kind of took a turn, but I really latched into that disease because it, it held control. And as we all know, for people that are type a, when you're, when you're in high school and middle school, and you're just a young athlete and great a student, when you go off on your own away from your family and you're kind of left to make all your decisions in your life and be your own leader, uh, and also school becomes more challenging, it's not just easy, uh, things start to get out of control. Uh, and that's where I think a lot of students and uh, in universities catch some of these mental illness diseases. And that happened to me. Fortunately, I caught it pretty early and then began my my road to recovery. So it was all it was a, a short winded direct illness before I, I sought help. And um, through that, you know, I, I graduated school early. I actually did an engineering five year program. Did it in four years, and then um, decided to join a consulting firm. So I worked at Accenture for about ten years. At, as as you mentioned, um, traveled to all different countries and throughout the United States. Uh, worked like 80 to 90 hours a week and yeah. loved it, uh, but also was always going back to dance and movement. And then also I've noticed in my road to recovery using physical fitness to keep my mind uh, aligned. 
I noticed that everywhere I would go, I was told to be something different, you know, less than smaller, um, lose inches. Everything was about loss. And Mm -hmm. I saw a huge opportunity for a place where people would go and we would use empowering language and energy to gain strength, gain confidence and gain love for the skin you're in. And specifically for women, you know, there was always this ideal of uh, a, a, a Barbie or a, now Barbie's cool, actually, my original business name was Barbie Fit to reinvent the term Barbie. But, you know, we have all these images that of how we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to look and act, especially 14 years ago when I launched this business, and that um, we kind of pioneered that change in boutique fitness. So we were one of the first locations or studios or brands that really changed the the script uh, for female fitness. And that's uh, what I did. So I met my business partner and we hit it off. And I told her what I was doing and she asked if she could do it with me. And we cheers glasses. It was on a New Year's Eve dinner date. And uh, she called me up the next day and said, I'm, I want to do this with you. And we wrote our mission vision and six months later opened our first studio and then it just kept going. And so I put in my, my uh, time at Accenture, I was open and honest with my workplace that I wanted to take a chance on myself. And they gave me a leave of absence, which was awesome because when you put your work in and you're loyal to your corporation and corporate company, they actually supported me taking this leap of faith. Um, and then I never looked back. And uh, we just sold our business. So I'm actually not, I'm, I'm not the CEO anymore because we, we were acquired officially Congratulations! uh, in October. Yes. So I'm very excited about this next stage of growth for our, our owners and what we can do in the female space for wellness. So I have a quick question, maybe, you know, a sensitive question, but you said you caught the illness and I think, you know, you're, you're aware right now that it's not just uh, college students, but especially college students, graduate students, students of all type right, types right now are, are struggling with mental illness um, mm. of, all, of all spectrums, right? And I'm wondering if you have any specific advice about whether or not you, I don't know, is, do you, what, what did you mean when you said you caught it? I'm, I'm curious. I think there's personality traits that are susceptible. It's just kind of like gene, you know, gene traits, traits that are susceptible to certain illnesses. And uh, my personality type, um, you know, the if you take the Enneagram, like I'm three, right? Um, so the, the perfectionist in me or the always wanting to be you know, do the right thing. Um, those kind of personality traits become more susceptible to those kind of illnesses, uh, especially when you're latching onto control in an uncontrollable world. And I think that the students and, you know, just I'm a mother of four, um, these kids who have gone through the pandemic and just the shift in culture, you know, more than anything is that they're, they are searching for con- some kind of normalcy and control because now they've gone through something where they see things can be so unpredictable and your world could just shift overnight. And so I do think that there is a huge need for focus on mental wellness and for people to have tools and understand that it's not, they didn't do anything wrong. Like, you know, I, again, I think a lot of blame and shame comes from these illnesses. And that's what I experienced 30 years ago um, when I was in college. And, you know, I blame myself for 
catching or, you know, forgetting it. And, and it's not, it's something that it's not, you choose it. It, it becomes apparent and, and you fall susceptible to it. So. And when you were fortunate, so did you have friends and or family that helped, helped you immediately to get the, the help that you, you needed? Yeah. You know, honestly, it's a, such a hidden disease. So people hide it and you don't want to be caught. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of denial. And so, yes, I had, you know, my sister, you know, people that saying like, you need, there's something wrong. You need to go, you know, and bringing it into my face and you get really angry with them, especially when you're trying to hide the fact that there's something wrong. Um, but fortunately I did. And luckily, you know, it was for me, it was, you know, later in life where I was at, I, I, you know, I mean, at 18, you know, you know what normal feels like. And then you also know what it doesn't. And so, you know, it takes a lot of willpower to want to change too. That's um, really an important thing. So yes. um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to pick your brain because I'm not a mental health expert. Yeah. <laughs> Orthopedic surgery, maybe as far away from psychiatry as you can get. Um, but I do get people asking me to help them, you know, get to that inflection point where they can seek the help that they need and or admit that they need help. Yeah. So, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on either one of those. Uh, well, uh, so through, the, yeah. And so my, the business um, that I founded and just sold, you know, our three mission points were best in class fitness program and to provide personal growth and self-acceptance and do so in an empowering environment. And so outside of just uh, being a fitness expert, I am a soul coach, which is therapy meets um, traditional coaching of wellness. Um, and what I would say is, um, you know, that's where a lot of people need to come back to tools that, you know, faith is, is a big one, you know, um, knowing that there's something larger than you, whatever faith that means, if it's universe or the God word, or, you know, whatever word resonates with your yourself, but knowing that there's something else out there that you can talk to or lean to, that's not just a person too. sometimes really, really helps. Um, and also breath, um, you know, breath work is something I'm so passionate about. And if we, we think about it this way, if we think about, we are not our thoughts. So mental illness is really just repetition of thoughts and connections in your brain that are keeping you in a loop that is not beneficial. And if we step back and think about it this way, we think 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a tremendous amount of thoughts. Of those thoughts, 80% are repetitive from the day before. And then of those 80%, 90% are actually negative. And that to me is groundbreaking stats because if we actually become aware that the, the we are not our thoughts, but we have to use breath and use tools that we came into this life with, to start to gain a little more control, not fight because you can't control it, but awareness of the thoughts and then awareness and intention to change the thoughts. We can actually change your life. And I like to think of these, these things. If thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body and how we think and how we feel create our state of being. Awesome. And, and that statement is pretty profound. So I want to pause for one second because yeah. for the medical students who are listening just in the chat, 
is I, I don't know, but I think what you said is, is spectacularly interesting. And that is 90% of our thoughts are negative. I'm going to bet that medical students' thoughts are 99% negative sometimes because we're just around people who are <laughs> sick, we're around people who are hurting, um, yes. we're, we're perfectionists or we're, we're uber perfectionists. So I, I think that's a freeing idea is to say mm-hmm. that we do not have to succumb to this 90, 10%, you know, bias in our head of, of negativity. Um, so how, how do we, do you have a thought filter? <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, the, the greatest thing is like, we come into this life with breath and we leave taking our last, right. And it truly is a tool that calms the nervous system. And I'm not sure, you know, what, what is taught in the medical field uh, about breath or breath work for, individuals and patients. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously that's not my field, but it is such an incredible tool that we all have. And that's why breath work is becoming so popular mainstream, even in corporations where people can calm their nervous systems to make better choices. So, you know, it's something that we should all be armed with. Um, but something so profound when we get caught in our thought loops that are keeping us away from peace and, um, And also for medical students, you know, you all have doctors have to make crucial decisions. And sometimes there's, I would say 99% probably sometimes there are no, it's not black and white, it's gray. And in the gray space, um, or maybe I'm wrong on stats because I don't know any of those, but I I see that there's sometimes where you you don't know what information you're supposed to say or what you're supposed to share, or, you know, sometimes I, I don't know how it is, but regardless the choices we make are, are crucial and a great way to make sure you're making, you know, going back to feeling calm and centered in the decision-making process is everything. And uh, breath can be a great way to do that, especially in the heat of, you know, patients and their energy and, you know, what they're bringing to the space for you to reset, realign so you can re-engage and, um, it's so important. And um, and Jillian, I think there's, we may or may not have talked about this, but for the medical students who are listening or the doctors who are listening, I'm going to tell you the honest truth is I was incredibly skeptical of this until about four or five years ago. And some of my super smart colleagues at Stanford actually uncovered this connection between the breathing center in the back of the brain and your frontal cortex. And so what they did is they, they actually worked with mice and they hyperventilated the mice. At the same time, they were, their connections to their frontal, frontal lobe and frontal cortex were, you know, where your mind is racing or you're thinking all that. And when the mice were breathing in a certain pattern, um, a specific type of pattern, they actually saw calming of the frontal lobe. Now, I know that I'm a Western medicine orthopedic surgeon, and I know this is breath work has been around for thousands of years, and I'm actually half Asian Indian, so I should should have a little more Eastern in me than, than that. But <laughs> when I read that paper, it changed it for me, and I really did take a deep dive into it. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something for a second, and I want your, your opinion on this, because I've been studying it, and I actually use this now, and I actually use it to teach some of the sports medicine fellows uh, that I that I work with or the medical students that I work with. And here's how it goes. I go. Now, the two, I, I typically do about five, maybe up to 10 of those. 
but for the physiology of people who are listening, here's here's a little bit what's happening is as you take two deep breaths in through your nose, you're expanding, there's some big fancy words we get to use here as doctors, you're expanding your alveoli, some of the sacs, even into the deeper part of your lung. And then when you push it all out with as much as you can, you're expelling a little more carbon dioxide. So what you're doing is you're literally changing the pH of your blood. You're getting rid of some of that. This is the Western medicine version of why it works. Uh, you're getting rid of some of that carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide is what causes us to, to panic a little bit. It's typically not a lack of oxygen. It's, it's too much carbon dioxide. Now, I haven't proven that to myself, but when I understand that, and maybe some of the med students can chime in later when we have a Q&A, but what I do, if I'm panicking a little bit about almost anything, um, I'll do that. I'll do a set of five or 10 deep breaths, and, and it does calm you down. Uh, for me, it's actually in, incredibly incre increased my ability to make a three or four foot putt on the golf course, because I'll do <laughs> some deep breathing as I go to make a putt, and it actually goes in more often. But I, uh, I think it's an under-recognized, cost-free way to reset your brain. And you are correct that almost all of medicine is in the gray. Um, and even as we speak, I have to check my phone for a second. I'm waiting for the results of, of a test on one of my patients right now. And it's still in the gray zone for somebody I saw at 8.30 this morning. Um, you have to learn to live in the gray you have to learn how to handle it when, when things are changing and hearing your experience with it is, is really helpful for us. So did that help you in your, in your business as well, when you were making tough decisions? Yeah, I was just going to say, so like, you know, entrepreneurship, probably much like uh, medicine is, is a, another platform of life. Just like you said, 99% of it is in the gray where, you know, you can't predict tomorrow and, when we take a look at those 60 to 70,000 thoughts and we think about most of our power is either past, like regretting choices we made or thinking, analyzing what we did or trying to predict the future rather than bringing the power into the now. And so as all of you incredibly smart, talented individuals, like to, like myself as an engineer and building a business, like to learn from our past like to try to predict what we should do and make choices. While all of that is good, we also need to make sure we give enough time to bring that knowledge, awareness, and alignment into the now, into the present, to make the most clear, right choice. True. Like and that's what I did through business because, you know, we've had so many ups and downs, uh, things thrown at you from every single angle that you could ever imagine. Um, you know, I built a fr franchise system from uh, not even know what the word franchise meant when I when I started uh, the boutique fitness business. And there's lots of legal work, lots of lawyers, there's different owners and personalities and, you know, obstacles that come. It's like a no GPS zone map, like there is no route you need to take. And there's nobody really you can lean on that has been in your specific path. So, you know, ultimately you can get advice so you can take some, you know, input, but you have to make the choice. And so, you know, you really have to lean into yourself and find that presence and that peace and that calm and listen to your body and to your mind in that present moment to make the right choice. I'd like to pivot to talk a little bit more about how 
super busy people can find time, make time for exercise. Um, because medical students and one of the founding principles of medical vitality explorers is we learn how to take care of other people, but we don't learn how to take care of ourselves very well. So uh, the group you have uh, assembled or listening to this or reviewing it later um, are super busy and they're very concerned about, you know, learning as much as they can about how to take care of other people. But can you teach us how to take care of ourselves a little bit? And the second yeah, question to add in. It took me 44 years, I was going to say, to learn how to take care of myself. But I think we're all here on this planet for also a journey of self-love and coming back to like really, truly loving you, you, you know, yourself. And I finally, you know, as a mother of four, who's, uh, you know, built an eight figure business and done all of it, I finally can now say, I truly love who I am, all of the, you know, all that comes with it. And so I think for, for medical students, it's really about starting that journey of, of self-love. So taking the time for yourself, uh, scheduling your time, and all of that good stuff helps, right? But what I'm going to also uh, arm you with is that although I did boutique fitness classes where you have to go in for 60 minutes and you have the full 60 minutes for yourself, I also want to flip the script a little bit because, you know, I do this for myself. I can't, you know, with the four kids, with running the business, with all that I'm involved in, you know, getting 60 minutes in a day or even 30 minutes in a day is, is really hard. Uh, but what I want to arm you with is that it's really about intention. If you go back to, you know, the, the days on the farmland, right. They didn't even know what working out is, right. It's just part of their daily life. Um, I shared with, um, Alan, a, a study done in Harvard about, uh, the placebo effect and intention, intention behind movement. And he, you know, he can share the, the study, but basically I'll summarize it. It was it was done at Harvard and it was a, a sampling of maids and they had a control group where they were trying to figure out why are maids at hotels that are doing so much more work um, and physical movement than standard uh, jobs. Why are they so overweight or, and have other markers that were unhealthy. And so what they did is they took this control group and they, they broke it into two. And one of the groups they educated them about all they were doing throughout the day and how much great stuff through their daily work of changing sheets and doing laundry and dusting and all of the things that they were doing, vacuuming, that they were getting such great physical benefits and they educated them around it. Three months later, they came back in and almost every single maid had a change in their markers for the better. And so what I challenge medical students to do, and I, I try to challenge everyone to do this, is to start to think about our daily movements, and this is what I do for myself, as activity. So you don't have to necessarily always check out. Yes, it's great to get to the gym when you can do it. And when you when you have, you're not on call and you can actually make it there, right? But even if you get, you know, you start doing, loading the dishwasher and you, squat while you're putting your dishes away or bring in some intention behind the things that you're doing or your walk to class or your walk down the hallways at the hospital. Like 
you're doing a lot. You're standing up while you're standing up, bringing just awareness to your abdominal, you know, and pulling in your pelvic floor and, you know, like putting some intention behind intention and attention about what you actually are doing for your body rather than what you're not doing. Um, that's, can help stop, stop that for one second. Intention and attention. Now that's phenomenal because everybody here is going to be on call one night uh, or a lot of nights. They're going to be going up and down stairs. They're going to have maybe a few minutes while they're waiting for an x-ray or waiting for a surgery or something like that. But doing a little bit makes a big difference. Um, so that I, I never thought about it that way. But the intention matters for the MAID study. That was really good. And the attention to what you're doing. Maybe you're standing in the operating room and you're ready to fall asleep. But if, maybe you can do, just do some ab crunches or some quad crunches or pull your shoulder blades backward and downward. You can do little yes. micro, what are called isometric movements uh, to help you know keep keep yourself in shape. But, Little things matter, right? I mean, and, and yeah. a little bit applied over a long period of time does make a difference. And functional movement when you're, you know, picking up something from the ground. So a lot of us, so, you know, for the spine, you'll say this correct, rather than rounding down, actually using the correct form. So squatting down or keeping a flat back as you lean forward, all of those things, just keeping your body aware and awareness in the moment and using uh, proper form throughout your daily activities, even if they're not necessarily working out. So I have I have a little curveball to throw you in the context of some stuff that's been fascinating for me. Okay. So one of the things that I, I've been studying is when we work out, more often when we do resistive work, um, you can release little things from your muscle called myokines. And these are little molecules that in, in response to contraction, and and I, I'm, I'm gonna wait for the med students to jump in here in about five minutes or less. I don't know if they teach much about this in medical school. It certainly wasn't taught when I was there, but your muscles are kind of like an endocrine organ. They do release things that are positive for your liver, your heart, your brain. And here's the one that I'm very interested in, maybe subjectively from you, is I know that if I'm a little squirrely and I go for a run or a bike ride or jump in the pool, that my brain calms down, or if I'm, you know, really excited or anxious about something, I can break that with exercise. Um, right. And I think I'm going to hypothesize, and some med student can help me out here, is that we're releasing something that's actually calming our brain down, kind of like the breath work. Like when we do muscle work, um, I think we are actually helping ourselves from a psychological perspective. We just haven't put a name on the little thing that comes out of our biceps or our quad or our hamstrings yes. so when we work out. And I, I'm wondering if you know of any research in that area or if that's an area of interest for you. Yeah, it is. And I do have, um, I've done a lot about it. It's, we call it the, the feel good hormone. You know, it's, it's the, it's the dopamine effect from the post-workout that is incredible. And so the other thing I offer too, is to challenge you to not have to do 60 minutes, but you can even feel those effects for, you know, a 10 minute workout. Um, I even like, I, you know, I, I have kids, so I was just playing tag with them and you play tag with eight-year-olds. I mean, I, my heart talk about hit work, hit work on steroids, trying to keep up with the eight-year-olds, but, um, eight and 10-year-olds, but yeah, the, the way you feel after it's truly incredible. So another great way to think about it though, is like make the time when you can, and then shorten the window if you don't have the full amount that you can give yourself 
And then lastly, bring the intention and attention just to daily activities to keep it going. So before we open it up for some questions, I just want, want to know, how do you stay aware of your thoughts or aware of your body? How, how do you, I, increasing your, your sense of attention to the now is something that I teach in my vitality classes. And I think that that in context with trying to surround yourself with positive people are what I call vitality enzymes. And, you know, my, my med school background is going <laughs> to come in here. And again, as an orthopedic surgeon, I barely remember what activation energy is anymore, but it's a biochemistry concept where if a reaction, a chemical reaction is going to take place, there's a certain amount of energy you must put into it in order for that chemical reaction to take place. So I think of that in terms of energy um, if we're working out, but also for intentionality. So how do you get to that activation energy to get yourself to be aware in the now and apply your concepts of intention and attention? Any suggestions? So, yeah. Well, one, how I really got into meditation was um, I had two children and then I, I was pregnant with my third and I miscarried and I, I blamed myself. So I got into another downward spiral mental uh, block, if you will, of um, blaming myself for doing too much or the reason behind the miscarriage. And, and I was older. Um, and so I, went down a whole spiral of fertility and I started to get into meditation. And when I first started, I couldn't close my eyes and not see all of these clouds floating with words and just thoughts and noise. And slowly over time, um, you start to see the clouds start to dissipate. And this black space, which is where, you know, we close our eyes, we like kind of lean into the black space, starts becoming this, um, starts becoming alive. Um, and so what I would say is, I really think I know meditation is thrown out all the time. The word meditation means to become familiar with. And I believe that when we cut off our senses, so the senses to the outer world, we actually allow ourselves to go to our inner world. And when we go inside and we start to feel sensations and to watch the thoughts and to become aware of our inner world, uh, we start to notice what's going on or the chaos that's there. And um, the more consistent, so even if it's just starting with a five minute meditation, because that's all you can, you know, your brain can't stop at this point. You just do that consistently and then increase to seven and then increase to 10 and then increase, you know, uh, up to 15. Now I, I, I get up at 4am and meditate for an hour. Um, wow. yeah, it's my you fall back asleep. Sometimes. Yes, but it depends on where I'm at, but, um, I, I love it. It's the most magical time, uh, because it's right when you go, uh, you know, if we, if we get into the the neuroscience of where you're at from beta, delta, you know, alpha, theta, there's a, there's a point where you can access your subconscious. And that's really where, you know, it's right before where you're almost in the awake state, serotonin hasn't hit the body yet. yet. And so you creep right in there and that's really, you can help with manifestation and start to visualize, you know, what you want, what, who you want to be and, and, and put out, into your own mind, the, the good thoughts that you want to help create your life with. So 
that's kind of where you get to after doing it for years and years and years. But the first step is really just to connect inward and start to becoming aware of when you start to become aware of the thoughts, you start to realize that you are not them. That's and, awesome. and and that's kind of the, the first step and everything from there with consistency and uh, effort. When I say effort, it's not about effort when you're in it, but effort of showing up for yourself, then the rest starts to peel away and, you know, uh, new, new things about yourself start to appear. That's awesome. Would you be open for about five or 10 minutes of questions? Sure, of course. All right. So um, I, I actually am going to start off with the questions, but these are actually for the medical students. So if somebody, if yeah. somebody can help me out, do they teach you guys about breath work? Do they teach you about how to exercise at all? Or do they teach you about myokines? Does anybody want to jump in on that one? Nick or Matt? Actually, jump in. Oh, I'm just going to say no. No, I'll teach three. you about any of that. No, nothing. Do they, do they actually, I've forgotten, I might have asked you guys this before, but is, I mean, we're talking about doing this for an official course, but is there any uh, conversations about how to deal with it if you if you might think you have um, anxiety or, or is it just wait till it gets to, you know, put the fire out um, later? Is there is there some way of, because we're all going to have anxiety, by the way, you're not going to get away from, I have anxiety right now because my my uh, patient's response has not come back yet. So <laughs> it's not going to, it's not going to go no, away. We all have it. It's, a, yeah. it's about riding it though. Right. And uh, yeah, it's about, it's about learning to, uh, as our friend of uh, the Navy SEAL who spoke to us last night, so, you know, living with uncertainty is, is something all of us have to do. It's not just medical students, but I'm very curious about the, we need somebody Jillian like you to teach us. That's why it's nice to have you here. I appreciate that because it, you know, we sometimes in medical school think, oh, if we just went to business school, it'd be a lot easier and we'll go make millions of dollars, right? Uh, <laughs> that's not the case. Um, did anybody have a specific question for, for Jillian? I can start off with one. Um, yeah, this, so. This is Matt, I think I was saying, yes, hello, Jillian. Um, wonderful talk. Like, yeah, I appreciate everything that you said. And like, I totally resonate with like a lot of those things, um, for sure. Especially as someone who like prioritizes physical fitness. Um, and so my question is really just as someone who strives for efficiency and trying to maximize my time as an integration of like meditation and physical fitness and kind of, if those two things kind of can go hand in hand, if there's strategies that have been done, like while you're working out to kind of like, again, tackle those things, we think like you think of meditation as a place where you're like, you're completely quiet and like, you're in a place of like no stimuli and like trying to like, you know, you know, focus on yourself. Um, but I'm wondering if those things can kind of be merged yes. together and if there's strategies that can then it yes. be employed. And my whole business was built on active meditation. So that's what I call it. Um, I don't know, it's not really yeah. a sci scientific term, but it really is because again, like if you think about, you know, we have our, our brain, our nervous system is the, the biggest thing, like the war zone we have to, we have to tackle. And uh, when you're working out, if you, again, start to just become aware of your thoughts and bring it back to your body and your breath. So just catching yourself, because you'll see even, you know, it's the talk when you're like, oh my God, how many more do I have to do? Or, you know, it, it's that voice that you're trying to get away from. So lean away from the voice and then lean into the body and lean into the breath. And you can absolutely do it. 
I do recommend you trying here. Here's what I would do to maximize efficiency for you. Uh, definitely do the workout with the watching or awareness of the mind. Cause that just starts to separate you are not your thoughts. Okay. So you're like, Oh my God, there goes my, there goes my brain again, or there goes that thought again. So definitely do that and bring it back to the body and breath and lean into the burn, lean into the, you know, where you're feeling it, feel your heartbeat, all that good stuff. And then I recommend uh, five minutes before you go to bed, try to not fall asleep, but do your meditation and breath with no movement. And that's it. Just do a couple minutes before you fall asleep. And, and you'll start to see that there is a difference though. You, you will, I mean, you'll get effects from both of them. Um, but there's just, it's just different. And you really should lean into both because there's some magic that comes when, when your body, there's so much stimulus when you're working out and there's so much, uh, you, you know, hormones that are moving through the body and pumping when you're in a relaxed state, um, there's something also magical that happens where, you know, those thoughts or ideas or innovation, you know, some, some things pop up that are really, uh, incredible. And so some of my, why I do that at 4am, some of my best ideas have come from a uh, meditation at 4am when you're in that sleep zone state where you're not yet awake, yet not sleeping. And I actually have like a, a book where I write all those thoughts down. So, you know, being an entrepreneur, I got, you know, I'm, I'm working on another business already. I'm on board here. I'm getting this, like some euphoric ideas happen in that window. And so that's why, yes, you can maximize the two, but I would not just, I would not lean away from trying to just get familiar with the, 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 uh, meditation in a, in a, in a natural state. Is that good? Yeah. Wonderful. I appreciate it. So just a little, little bit more of the science for you guys. Cause I think this is an area where your generation of physicians is going to be blown away. And that is you know, something that I just actually put out on the Vitality Explorer Substack site today or yesterday. And they, there's a, a study, it was done in mice, but they've kind of unlocked a little bit about why exercise may help decrease inflammation in your brain and, and decrease your risk of a neurodegenerative disease. And this upregulation up of a specific transcription factor, actually, I think it's called transcription factor uh, EB in a mouse was, was shown to have decreased risk of neurodegenerative disease and decreased neuroinflammation. This is just the tiny, tiniest tip of a massive iceberg of information. And if I were starting, if I were starting all over again, I would get into this because it's going to affect every part of medicine. And I'm totally biased because I'm an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist, but maintaining your musculoskeletal system I think is going to be a huge connection to solving the mental health crisis we have in the United States and the world to helping us combat a lot of these chronic diseases we have because uh, they've sort of legislated the way things. And as future physicians, um, learning from people like Jillian and learning from people like Captain Shaby about how to stay in the moment, how to digest uncertainty and, and maintain your resilience. Um, again, I don't think exists. That's why we're doing this. Um, I, I want to be really cognizant of your time, Jillian. We're, we're probably going to go on for a couple more minutes, but um, can, can we thank her for her time? And um, Jillian, you're just an amazing person for sharing your, your uh, very vulnerable experiences. 
um, you're incredibly successful, but you you had to overcome some stuff. So uh, we we learned a lot. I think we can all say that we learned a lot. And, and there are going to be people listening and watching to this who couldn't do it uh, tonight that will also learn from your your time. So we we sincerely appreciate that. Uh, and do you have any final thoughts for for these future physicians? Ah, man, let me say, you know, everything is seems like a huge deal all the time. And the biggest thing you need to do is is connect to the now. And I, I can't stress that enough. That's been through my whole life, all the the ups and downs, the obstacles, the, you know, the battles I've overcome all can be shaken when you learn how to ground yourself and, and, and get present and, and find peace. Right. And so using your body, going back to thoughts are the language of the brain, feelings are the language of the body and how you think and how you feel, create your state of being. And if we can start to bring in good thoughts. Um, there's something, you know, a couple couple things that tips I would love to give people. Abraham Hicks is like one of my great favorite uh, mental wellness teachers. Uh, she has something called the focus wheel, but really taking a, a thought loop that can't get you, you can't break some stressor that keeps you stuck away from the present because you're past tripping, you know, really write it down and start to think of traits that you can spiral self back up that emotional scale into a better place of joy and peace, but using tools like that in the everyday and then prioritizing yourself, even for just a little bit, you know, giving yourself that 20 minutes. So 10 minutes of working out or 15 minutes of working out, uh, you know, in the morning to get your energy up or whatever time you can fit it in. And then that five minutes at night where you can try to calm your mind before you go to bed. Um, to get yourself away from those thoughts that are just keep racing, but bringing that peace back into yourself so that you can be more aligned and more centered to make better choices for yourself, for the people around you and your patients. Thank you so much, Jillian. We're going to let you go. And then I'm going to hang on to everybody for four or five minutes. What we're talking about next time. Um, uh, I can't, can't say go green or go white to you, but I can say, <laughs> I can say go blue to you. <laughs> so I thank you. It. Thank you for joining us. And All right. Best of